up until the age of about 14, I was a good lad, you know? Um, were the fam- my family, my dad was into cycling, like competitive cycling. I got into it as a schoolboy. So I spent a lot of my time training and hanging out with older older guys in the cycle club and, you know, became quite good at what I was doing. Um, there was a turning point at some point. Um, we all discovered weed. There was the dance scene. It was the 90s, you know, early 90s. The dance scene absolutely took off. You could not walk past a, a road without hearing private radio stations blaring out hardcore drum and bass. Um, it was fucking incredible time to grow up. It was amazing. But, um, yeah, so we discovered weed. It was hash in them days, but we discovered hash. I remember some girl's dad used to serve up at school, secondary school, and um, she'd used to nick it off of him and bring it into a couple of us in school. Um, uh, yeah, so I remember taking it home to my dad, and I knew my dad grew up as a hippie. He was always going on about the 70s, and him used to take, he used to take speed and, you know, smoke and all sorts of shit, he used to tell me. Um yeah, um, so I remember getting some hash at school one day and I must have been 14 and, and coming home to my dad and going, uh, there you go, Dad. Um, I, I don't know how to roll it, but there you go, right, roll one up. And my dad went and bought some cigarettes and some Rizzlers and, and spun up a big fucking Tampax. <laughs> Bench rolled this big fucking scaffold pole. Uh, hilarious looking back on it but anyway yeah so my first experience well it wasn't my first experience because I'd been smoking it on the quiet but I sat down and smoked a joint with my dad at 14 years old which began on um, my journey of um, drugs and drug abuse which I still um, battle to this day with addictions and stuff due to the the accident and you know a few uh, personal problems but yeah so growing up on the estate, my dad didn't work, Stephen's mum didn't work, um, and we used to look up to people on the estate, like the drug dealers and the gangsters and the villains. This was the Ferrier estate, you know. Um, yeah, there was no... I didn't experience any racism growing up either. Like, you know, we had mates, Chinese, Vietnamese, Pakistanis, um, Jamaicans... Um, all living on the same estate. All the kids used to hang out together. There was no no racist. I remember there being a, a BMP march from Welling, from their headquarters, and, and then finishing at Sutcliffe Park, which was our local park area. And I remember going down there and seeing all these skinheads marching and chanting these racial slurs and you know, line of police trying to stop them, and then there'd be, like, ethnics on one side and skinheads on the other. And I, I must have been about 12 or 13, and I, I could not work out what was going on. Like, I was thinking, I, I just did, did not comprehend it. I was used to sitting outside the local shops with skinheads, dreadlocks, you know, and, and, uh, and just smoking weed and, and, and all hanging out. It's, uh, it, was, it wasn't a thing on the estate. It was bizarre. But um, where was I? Yeah, the rave scene. Um, the rave scene took off massively and I remember taking my first half a pill first it was a pink Kelly and Brian had turned up at my house and um, at the time I was listening to all rock music I used to be a fan of The Doors like obviously you, you grew up and you're like a fan of whatever your dad listens to but um, yeah I remember hearing um, 
like drum and bass or it was hardcore in them days. I remember hearing that and, and thinking, what the fuck is this shit? This is terrible. But everything changed. As soon as that, that E started working, it all made sense. It was amazing. So, um, yeah. Uh, things started to change when we started getting involved in, in drugs because uh, Brian had this thing for cars and stealing cars. He was, like, obsessed with stealing cars. It was... I knew nothing about it, you know, but... um. Like a dickhead I am, kind of followed suit and I was led, easily led, that's what my teachers used to say. But um, yeah, so I started getting into stealing cars. Um, I, we're talking about Brian, he used to come onto the estate and hang around with the, you know, the poor kids for street cred, I think, because uh, he used to be a flash bastard in front of us kids with holes in their trainers and their fucking combats on, you know? Uh, I think that's what he's thinking about it. But for instance, I remember being about 13 or 14 years old. Now, we was all at secondary school together, me, Brian and Stephen, and I had my younger brother with me. And Stephen, where he was on about nicking cars all the time, and he used to have this bus hammer. Now, a bus hammer is a small red emergency hammer, like break glass hammer. He used to have a, a small hammer with two, like, points on it. And you only had to tap it on glass and it would shatter the glass, like get out of bus windows and train windows. He used to be able to pick them up here and there. But I remember Brian showing me this and uh, we walked past our local clinic on the Ferrier Estate and there was an underground car park. It wasn't an underground car park, it was on street level, but the building was above it, so it seemed like an underground, underground car park. And I remember walking through there and then being just this panda car, which was a little mini metro police car. That's what the panda cars were back in the day. And I remember um, seeing this uh, this panda car and Brian just fucking walked up to it and stopped, pop, 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 started popping all the windows. It's like, whoa, what the fuck? But you've got no fear at that age and you're easily led. So um, I was the first one to dive in there and steal the... Um, the police radio, um, what else was there? It was a, I think there was a light that you just put on the roof, like a magnetic light that plugs into the cigarette lighter. There was one of them there. It was, it was always the 90s, you know, it's different times. So we nicked that and a fluorescent police jacket and, and a few bits and pieces. And uh, yeah, we left it with nothing in it and no windows, right? Now, thinking about it, the the police you, was probably at the family planning clinic above, you know, doing whatever, some sort of a, uh, community support or something like that. And then we thought it hilarious that um, we sit on the train embankment right where the car park pulls out and see this guy drive off with no windows in it. It was a little Chinese policeman, a local one on the estate. And, uh, yeah... We found it hilarious to watch him driving by with no windows in the car. And we were just sitting there laughing and pointing at him. Ridiculous, really. But, um, yeah, it's the sort of things we used to get up to. But, um, yeah, so anyway, this car stealing, it progressed. It progressed. It started off with car stereos and golf clubs out the back and stuff like that. Um, into stealing cars. Um, completely for recreational use, just to drive around. And uh, I remember the first time I got in a stolen car, Brian had turned up with his stolen BMW. And uh, me and Stephen got in it and 
Brian's pulled away and took the fucking wing off of another car, like, terrible, you know, so fucking ridiculous. He was probably, like, 14 years old. Stupid. But anyway, this progressed, and it used to become a regular thing. We'd steal a car, take it back to the estate. We would never steal off the estate. You know, you don't steal off your own. We'd always go to Blackheath or uh, Greenwich or some richer areas, you know. But you don't steal off your own. You learn that growing up. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, um... Yeah, fucking bizarre times. 